Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This week on Red Inca, we talk about the cult of Baba Azam. And for that, we bring on a man who is the centrist dad of Baba politics. My name is Behram Kazi, and my job title is Cricket Correspondent at Grassroots Cricket Pakistan. We discuss Afridi, Inzi, Imran, Misbah, Pakistan politics, the cricket media, and a new group known as Baba FC. We're going to talk about Baba Azam. And it's got to a point where I try and ignore Pakistan cricket Twitter as much as I can. I try and ignore <laughs> all cricket Twitter, if we're being honest. But I try, I especially try and ignore that one because sometimes things get. I remember there was a period where it seemed like every tweet was saying how bad Shut Up Calm was. Mm-hmm. And That's I was happening thinking, again. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's not the first time and won't be the last. <laughs> And I remember thinking at the time, if this is the player that you are questioning, you guys are not watching these games. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, those sorts of things obviously have been happening since I started writing uh, back in 2007. But the Baba Azam thing seems to be, the, the cult of Baba Azam seems to be growing so much that I can no longer ignore it and pretend it's not <laughs> happening. So I've got a definition of what I think the cult of Baba Azam is. Uh, and I'm going to put that to you, but essentially he has, like Shahid Afridi, like Ms. Baal Haq, gone beyond cricketer and become almost like a political figure, right? Where you you cannot question him. You cannot question his strike rate, despite the fact that <laughs> we all know he's got an issue with his strike rate. You cannot question his test captaincy, despite the fact that, you know, he's not the most dynamic test captain um, there is going around, because you're either with him or against him. And it feels that that is what the cult of Baba Azam has become. And perhaps in a way that is um, Virat Kohli-like, but Virat Kohli through the eyes of Pakistan fans. Uh, and the, the the problem with that, of course, becomes that the entire uh, conversation about Pakistan cricket becomes almost a conversation of whether you like Baba Azam or not. And you can't even you can't even just say he's a good cricketer and leave it at that. that ha- you have to then pledge an allegiance one way or another. <laughs> have I accurately decide, uh, disc- uh, decided? Um, uh, described. Uh, described. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I knew there was a word there. Have I accurately <laughs> described what you see as well of this new cult of Baba Azam? 
Well, I'd say you've gotten most of it right. And uh, well, this is such a broad topic that I don't even know where to start, honestly. But I'll start off by saying that very sane, conscious choice by you to ignore Pakistan cricket Twitter in particular, because it is extremely toxic out there. And just to give you a bit of context, having lived there or in Pakistan over here for most of my life, I want to describe the Pakistani mindset as a sort of foundation before we really get into things. And Pakistanis deal in extremes. And they're an extremely emotional people. And they're very, very reactionary. They don't have any patience whatsoever. And they also have this thing where a lot of them will think that, okay, I am wrong and you are right and I'm not going to listen to you. So a lot of this stems from that sort of mindset, which we at Grassroots Cricket are really trying to change. We're trying to promote civil discourse, you know, when it comes to cricket. And we've gotten some flack for it. But uh, I would say... How dare you be central stats? (laughs) How dare you present two sides of the coin, really? (laughs) But uh, okay, so uh, yes, it exists. The fan club, as they call it, the Barber FC, it definitely exists. And look, Jared, with anything and everything in life, you have to be critical. No one or no system or any one single person should be exempt or immune from criticism. You should be able to criticize anybody. But in Pakistan, what often happens is that some of the people who rightly point out that Babur does have a strike rate issue, and I really want to get into this later as well. I've done some uh, homework around it. Uh, I think that they also go a bit overboard because in Pakistan, I can't speak for other countries. In Canada, people were super nice. So that's not a good example. That's the only other place I've Yeah, been. I don't think Pakistan <laughs> and Canada are two countries that spring to mind yeah. as being similar. Two different ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. But I think what these people often get wrong is there's a very fine line in, on Pakistan cricket Twitter between being critical and being personal. And a lot of these people will get personal. And by that, I mean, they'll start calling Baba selfish and a stat padder and question his intent. Whereas I say it's just, you know, his skill set. That's Baba's game. And he, I think, has done some work to elevate his game. And we'll get into that later. But it doesn't come from a rational angle. It comes from an emotional angle. And that outrages the Baba fans who are also wrong. Many of them gatekeep Babur and will not hear any criticism whatsoever against him, which is something I don't agree with either. I criticized Babur Azam yesterday, but I still think that he should carry on as at least limited overs captain till the World Cup just for stability purposes. But that's a different reason altogether. So I think the mindset and the way discourse works in Pakistan is largely the reason why you see what you see on Twitter. And of course, Babur Azam is a generational talent. And I think no one Mm. would even question his batting in ODIs in Test cricket if anyone does you should question them. In T20 cricket, you do have a fair argument. There is a debate. It should be debated in a healthy manner. But debating anything in a healthy manner is lost on deaf ears in Pakistan, Jared. (laughs) Let's go through his record. So test cricket, um, I think, what, two, three years ago, I I gave him the most improved player award. Mm -hmm. He had a really bad start in test cricket, which I think people have forgotten, but he could not score a run the first couple of years. Then explodes. Then everyone, everyone in Pakistan wants him to join the Fab Four. We have to explain that A, it is a Fab Four and that someone <laughs> would have to be demoted. And B, the Fab Four is named because you have uh, four batters who are basically within one or two years of each other in age, which is why it all kind of happened. But no one has any problem with him. I, I think his numbers are, I had a look at this recently. I think his numbers are slightly inflated of recent times based on Pakistani pitches. 
But he was doing really well before that anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's absolutely no problem with him being one of the better players in the world. I, you know, I think that's a very safe one. One day cricket, is he averaging 60? Is it 59? Close to 60. Yeah. He's got a strike rate of 89 off the top of my head. Um, Something like that, yep. These are things I shouldn't know, but I do apparently. <laughs> um, uh, which I think 89 is about the par strike rate in the world. So you would say that he's averaging 60 on what, you know, on a neutral strike rate, right? Which is fine. If you're going to average 60, you know, there's Shy Hope who's doing it on a strike rate of 12, you mm -hmm. know. <laughs> 89 is absolutely fine. Apologies to Shy Hope and his strike rate there. I, I don't think there's any question in my mind in Test cricket and ODI cricket that he is one of the best batters in the world. You'd agree, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, only T20 cricket, his batting and strike rate in particular in T20 cricket comes under the scanner or should come under the scanner. Everything else, I think he's sorted. And I mean, I'm sure he's scored a lot of runs on those Pakistani pitches, but he's showed us what he can do in Australia. He showed us what he can do on that gall surface in Sri Lanka. He has the credentials of performing all across the world. I remember he had some really good knocks in South Africa as well. And look, Jared, when you're a player of Babar Azam's stature in the subcontinent, these fan clubs and polarization of opinion, it comes with the territory. It's not something Babar can escape from. Yeah. And it's not something Babar propagates. He would be least concerned with all of this. In fact, if anything, over the last few years, he's shown us that he doesn't give a damn about what's said about him on social media. He's very mentally strong that way. But then my question is, uh, then if you are questioning his strike rate, and let's suppose that you have assumed that this is Babur's ceiling, which I don't think, by the way, I think Babur constantly You're talking T20 now. Yes, I'm talking okay. T20 specifically. Yep. People, I think, assume that this is Babur's ceiling and he'll always play like this. Whereas I believe Babur has constantly evolved. And he might not go for aerial shots, but he keeps developing shots which are grounded. You look at his dabs towards the third man fence, and I don't think anyone does it better than him. I thought Kane Williamson was the best at that, but Barber, I think, is better because he hits them finer than anyone. I think I think it was against Sisanda Magala or Lungi Ngidi. There was a shot that went viral. And I think Barber Azam is constantly evolving and has a much higher ceiling than people think he does. But let's assume, Jared, for a second that Babar Azam has hit his ceiling in T20 cricket, okay? Now, then the conversation really is, and this goes to all of the people who are against his, you know, or, or detractors of his strike rate, which, you know, to a certain extent I am as well, because you're a critic of the game and you have to remain objective. You know, we talk about entry points. Babar averages 41 in T20 internationals and has a strike rate of 128 in domestic cricket. He has uh, an average of 44 domestic T20s and, an, and a strike rate of 128. So the strike rate of 128 is the main takeaway over here. Would you not open with him? Because if, sure, you waste the power play, whatever. Imagine Babar Azam coming in the 12th over. I am not in favor for that, for one. I don't think that will work out because he is someone who, sure, will take his time. But when he gets it right, Jared... He does go at a very good click. You see him scoring hundreds all the time. He has nine in the format now, three mm. in internationals, and he's only behind Chris Gale in the, you know, uh, shortest format and behind Rohit Sharma, I believe, uh, in T20 internationals. I might be wrong over here, but I think it's Rohit. So he does churn out those numbers. And in 140 20 international innings, he has gotten scores of 50 plus 33 times. So mm. one third of the time, Babar Azam will get you runs. The problem is that there will be a lot of times where Babar Azam will score 38 of 33. And that is not acceptable. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. 
like maybe you're a raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Let, let me, I'm going <laughs> to throw something at you. I, look, I think it's funny you say whether he can improve um, and move forward. I think he has to because I don't <laughs> think you can. In three years' time, if he's still got a strike rate of 128, I just yeah. don't think he will be playing, right? Absolutely. I think it'll get to a point where people will just be like, this doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing I'm going to throw at you. Realistically, the bigger issue is that they have two Bubba Azams. Right? If you only had one, and let's say Fakir Zaman actually played the way that he does in one-day cricket, but in T20 yeah. cricket, which he's never quite mastered, mm-hmm. or, I don't know, Muhammad Harris was absolutely fantastic. There's Saima Yub now as well, up, yeah. up-and-coming star. Do you know what I mean? There's, uh, let's say it was one of them, or even, you know, a senior player that we've forgotten who who could have mastered this. That Then you're matching an anchor with dynamic mm-hmm. players. Absolutely. When you're matching an anchor with an equal, if not slower, player right in Rizwan you then have a situation where if they stay in together you are guaranteed a score of 140 to 160 but you're also not going to score much more than that because they're both scoring so slow for the first 14 to 15 overs of that innings right that's a real that's just a real realistic thing of of what happens when you when you have them Mm -hmm. available the other thing is that as we're moving on to T20 cricket, you talked about him not coming in on the 12th over. What you really want from a player like Baba Azam, if he can't get his strike rate fixed, is you want him to play as uh, this, what I call a floating anchor role, which doesn't make any sense because anchors don't float. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but essentially, you want him to play in a position where he bats at number three or number four, or he doesn't bat at all. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's an early wicket and someone's and Trent Bolt swinging it around corners. Okay, right. let's send in our best player. Right, or you know, Rashid Khan's got us, uh, you know, two down really quickly. Um, you know, this wicket is turning. Let's send in our best player. When you're one, you know, one wicket down for, I don't know, 100 in the 10th over, you probably don't want Baba Azam to go out mm. and bat, right? And that's the sort of role that, you know, teams have been talking to Kane Williamson about and Steve Smith, you know, and we're starting to see a few players become that sort of thing. Baba Azam would be perfect for that. Right. I think you have a solid case over there. And especially when Pakistan are batting first. Because whenever Babur and Rizwan, you know, open and Pakistan bat first, they'll get to 170, 175. But you'd always feel that they've left 15 to 20 runs on the field. And that's because, not more so because of the power play, actually. Because Mazar Arshad, the Pakistani stats, uh, statistician, has done some work on this. And he's seen that the middle overs, actually, you know, over 17 to 14 is when they really, truly slow down. Yeah. And you can see that in all of their games. They do take their time. Uh, in the middle. And I think that is detrimental. Now, I hope someone is pointing this stuff out to Babur and Rizwan. Because, look, whatever we say, they do have the credentials when it comes to chasing targets. Sure, they have choked in big games. They haven't been able to bring out their best. But then they've won you a fair few games as well. They they chased down 152 versus India on their own. And they've chased down 200 a couple of times as well. Pakistan made the final of one World Cup. And Mm -hmm. uh, should have made the final of the other World Cup, right? Should have won that World Cup, arguably. Now, I would argue that the method that Pakistan is using is too reliant on their bowlers mm-hmm. because if their bowlers don't have a good day, for instance, the, you know, Matthew Wade, um, Marcus Stoinis partnership, one partnership basically won that game, right? 
And that was only a couple of overs where the Pakistani bowlers didn't get it right. And as good as the Pakistani bowlers are, and we know that mm-hmm. there's dozens of them and they could, you know, chop and change and still have a great attack, there's they're always going to have one or two guys who doesn't get it right on any particular day. That's a normal thing for any T20, T20 yeah. team to have. The problem is if you're not then maximizing your batting ever, mm-hmm. right, intentionally, which is, is pretty much the case, it means that you're not attacking on both sides of the ball. You're yeah, literally and- saying, we're going to win every game with our bowling and our batting only is going to be par or slightly below par, but that's okay because our bowling's so good. And then on the days when that doesn't happen, you lose. Whereas if you were maximizing your batting with that bowling attack, you'd have to say that they would lose far less uh, because they would be attacking on both sides and sometimes their batting could carry them. So it's it's a really interesting thing. Let's move on from that for a minute. So we've discussed that his batting is a particularly a problem. Um, also... As good as his batting is, you talked about him Im- improving perhaps in T20 cricket. He hasn't reached his peak. I, I, I don't know <laughs> where he is on the Pakistani age scale of of <laughs> like w- if he is his real age or. I would like year. to think he's twenty eight because if you I look at young Barber, yeah, yeah, he looks twenty eight. Do you he know what I mean? Look twenty eight. Yeah. 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 Like Esan Allah doesn't look twenty. That you know there are some <laughs> players that you know don't quite look their age um, in some in some countries in the world. He looks his age, and so. Everything we know about batting suggests that most players of his quality will be hitting their batting peak at this time. Mm-hmm. That means that we may not have actually seen the best of him yet, which Absolutely. could also mean that he has a revolution in T20 batting as well. So there's more to come from that point of view. I think his batting is absolutely unassailable at, at this point. My question for you is, do you think he's a good captain? I don't think he's a great captain. You know, That's fair. especially in test cricket, I think that he has a fair few flaws. But then again, when you look at that test team, who else do you give the captaincy to? Rizwan's lost his spot. You know, you your next most successful player is what? Shaheen Shafridi, not always fit. Shadab doesn't play test cricket. Then you've got Saud Shakil, who's just come in. You've got mm. Salman Aliaga, who's just come in. You're not giving the captaincy to Imam Ulaq. At least I'm not. And uh, who else do we have? Who's the other opener for Pakistan? Wow, completely slipped my mind. Abdullah Shafiq, uh, prodigy up and coming, not ready for captaincy. Very so good. unfortunately, I think you're not particularly spoiled for choice in red ball cricket and you've invested in Barber. So might as well give him a run, let's say, for the next Test Championship. And maybe, you know, we might be being a bit over critical because of the pitches. Because when we had good pitches versus South Africa, Barber's captaincy wasn't particularly highlighted, was it? Because they, they steamrolled mm. South Africa and, you know, bowled them out pretty much every time, and won that series quite convincingly at the end. Baba, the limited overs captain, I think has gotten better with time. All right? He has a very, very good ODI record. I think he's won his the last uh, 10 out of 12 ODI fixtures, if I'm not wrong. So, especially in a World Cup year, in which you're going to be playing an ODI World Cup, which, you know, you might argue is still the most prestigious title in all of cricket because it has that history. I think it doesn't make sense to remove him from ODI captaincy. T20 captaincy is an interesting one because you have leaders in that team now. You've got Shadab Khan, who didn't have a very successful stint versus Afghanistan right now, but he has those, you know, elements which could make him a great captain. And we've seen that in Islamabad United. You've got Shaheen Shafridi, who's up and coming. Might be a bit too hot-headed for the job at this young age, though. Too raw, in my opinion, but definitely a leader. So you've got a lot of leaders in that T20 team. So that's where the conversation gets really interesting, particularly because Pakistan does not play T20 cricket till 2024. So I think that ODI, you keep him. Right now, you don't touch T20 either because you don't want to create any instability. You're not even playing T20 cricket. And in test cricket, what have you got? You're done with the cycle. 
and a new cycle is upon us soon enough and you don't really have any leaders per se who could mm. fill babar's shoes just yet so that is why i think that for now people should just have faith in babar cuz you've trusted him a lot you've developed him into whatever he is today he still makes tactical blunders i agree but he has proven to be a really good leader and he has this entire team backing him which are you know one big cohesive unit which is not something we say frequently about pakistan cricket is it the pakistan teams of the past lots of infighting win games on individual brilliance but this team is actually a team and you see that and there's a lot of good social media coverage which you know makes fans happy as well increases the fan buy in i think they've got something good over here and you know he has made an asia cup final which he should have won a t20 world cup semi which he should have won and a world cup final versus england which let's be honest england were the better team mm. pakistan could have defeated them but england were the better team and they are the ones who are revolutionizing cricket on you know the largest scale be it any format so i think that babar is not a great odi or 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 captain in general but i think in test cricket he's the best you've got for now and in odi cricket you've got to back him because he's got a good record and in t20 cricket that is a conversation for later it's not a conversation for right now He he reminds me a little bit of Ricky Ponting as a captain where mm-hmm. there weren't really any other options and mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that it went to him. And What about he, Gilly? Hey? No, What Gilly. About Gilly? Was, no, he he was old as well. I I don't think mm-hmm. he was ever and plus th- at that stage that was pre-Doni. There was no way they were mm-hmm. going to give captaincy to anyone who was a wicketkeeper. <laughs> In fact, in Australia that was where the the sentiment was at its strongest despite the fact that one stage almost every Sheffield Shield team seemed to win with a wicketkeeper as captain. But <laughs> apparently the extra day really took it out of them. But <laughs> I think that he's when you watch his captaincy a little bit like Ponting, it's very uninspired and it's very by the numbers at times, but <clears throat> He probably does a lot of the other stuff very well and makes players feel very good. He's also very he's a very sensible head and I think what you talked about before and we'll come back to this of course but you know the I watched Joel Embiid um in the mm-hmm. NBA get uh-huh. really sucked into the narrative around him for the MVP award and what people on the line were saying and you could tell that Joel Embiid was online in a way you could tell that Stuart Broad is online and you know you could tell the people who are online and getting involved with it and that would be easy for Baba to kind of get into that right yeah, and he's absolutely. gone the other way in a kind of stoic kind of uh way so i i think it's it's quite interesting even if he is not as strategically a- nimble maybe that's a way <laughs> yeah. of putting it as, as other sure. people but i want to say this so this is just of recent times and i wouldn't say this is a particularly full on pakistani uh moment uh, in cricket although the mickey arthur thing maybe um changes that a little <laughs> bit but they've got a completely new coaching structure that has never existed before in world cricket they he just lived through the ramiz raja rambo era which was bizarre also before that was the wasim khan era which was very different to pakistan cricket uh-huh. we've had the flat pitches controversy we've had going back to home um and playing cricket again i know it's not p- completely new but the biggest series are probably a little bit more new mm-hmm. uh he had to captain in back to back world cups and then they went from being the best team in test cricket to being an absolute joke in a very short period of time when they should have been much better um a lot has gone on and yet he has for me maintained a fairly solid public persona in that and that's not uh, it's easy for us to say that and everyone and there'll be people who don't 
you know, haven't spent a lot of time in Pakistan or with Pakistani people who would say, well, you know, that's fine. That's not an easy thing to do in Pakistan cricket. Oh, no. And uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, sure, we'll criticize Rambo for the pitches and whatnot. And his extremely hands-on approach, perhaps, because you can't do, can't do everything, right? And you have, to have a succession plan <laughs> and you have to set a system and, and think mm. he failed to do that. Uh, but then again, such is the nature of Pakistan cricket that the patron in chief of the PCB is your prime minister. So every time a government changes, which happens a lot over here, by the way, I'm not sure if you're into the whole political spectrum of things, but I think... What Rambo did well was empower Babur. And by empowering Babur, for the first time in a long time, we felt like our captain was not a puppet and he was making decisions on his own. And he did cop criticism for that. When you do criticize Babur fairly, I think that should be happening because that will keep a check on Babur as well. It'll give him input and it will help him improve as a tactician. I think he's got the leader part covered. I think he's a brilliant, mm. fantastic leader. But he does have a lot of room for improvement as a tactician. And, you know, as far as the cult is concerned, I think that the people who are in favor of Babur or Babur FC, as we like to call it, they outnumber the people who are critical of Babur. But by no means is that a small sort of segment. Mm. A lot of people are extremely critical of Babur. And I think they take it, you know, to lengths that they shouldn't be taking it to and they they take it personally and they make it more about themselves at that point because they can't deal with these other people who are just fanboys and fangirls who won't listen uh, you know any of their listen to any of their arguments uh, as detractors of Babur. so i think both sides are again to my earlier point wrong because you should not gatekeep him and you should not attack him personally there is a middle ground over here in which you can objectively assess his cricket strike rate in t20 cricket is a very very valid argument Averaging 41 uh, with a strike rate of 128, you know, in T20 international cricket, you compare that to the butlers of the world. Butler averages seven runs less, but then his strike rate is 144. Now you look at Virat Kohli, he has unreal numbers, of course, in T20 internationals, 53, averaging 53. Only player who averages more than Barber uh, amongst all of the ones that I looked up. And he has a strike rate of a 138. Mm. Rohit Sharma has uh, averages in the 30s. Strike rate of high 130s. You look at Alex Hale, same story. Strike rate of 30, uh, uh, sorry, average of 30, strike rate of high 130s. And David Warner is again, 141 strike rate, 32 average. So I would think that if Barber can just get to like 135 mm. to 137, this is not going to be a conversation anymore. And maybe we should look at his numbers here on because it's become so mainstream. And I never thought this was a mainstream argument to begin with. I thought this was a nuanced argument, a much needed but nuanced argument and not as mainstream as people have made it because that's where the cult comes in. Mm. And with the cult, Pakistani media does not help. That's all they ever talk about. You go to these press conferences, it's always Babar Rizwan, Babar Rizwan, strike rate, this and that. There's a lot of cricket going on. And if you want to ask someone about their plans, there are better ways of doing it rather than personally attacking them. You can ask him, get, oh, you're opening with Rizwan again in this 5-T20I series, which doesn't really mean anything. Is this your plan for the T20 World Cup? Is that how you want to go in? Is Are you dead set that you will be opening with Rizwan in the T20 World Cup? Or is there any room for experimentation, at least when you're batting first? You know, that makes a lot of sense to me because sure, you have some good records chasing and you can't, you can question them, but you can't really because they've got what, five 150 plus partnerships. That's not easy. They've chased down 200 without losing a wicket. They've chased down that 220 score in yeah. Centurion. I think so, chasing in, in general suits mm -hmm. anchors, right? Yeah. Because there are going to be plenty of games when you are chasing what is a reasonable total. And then your ability, if, if you want to go back to someone random, someone like Michael Klinger, 
right? You know, played a lot of big bash and a lot of county cricket. He had a really, I, I think he was strike rate was maybe even less than what, what Bubba's was, but he was a brilliant, I, I looked it up once. He had one of the best records in chasing because he, a, quite, a lot of times he was chasing 130, 140, 150. And so he didn't have to do anything. The problem is, is when you're trying to set a total and you're putting a handbrake on, at the, at the front. So it's, it is completely different. Virat Cole's another perfect example yeah. of he's brilliant at chasing, but he's not as good at setting up the total in the first innings. Let's, let's get back to the cult thing. Cause I, I do, mm -hmm. I do think it needs a lot. So I was, I was trying to, obviously the first one that comes to mind is, is Imran Khan, right? Mm -hmm. And that goes beyond cricket at this point. Well, that's what <laughs> I was, I'm going to put him to the side for one moment, but Inzi had a cult. Obviously, I talked about Mizba and Afridi before. Yunus Khan probably had a cult as well, right? This is a very, very common thing in, in Pakistan cricket to kind of turn a player into someone that you can't speak about with any sort of sense or anything else. Is it? We know that there is a political element to this, and I mm -hmm. say that not because these players have, you know, Baba Azam's political beliefs are, you know. <laughs> probably not, not that. Yeah, I yeah. don't think he's, you know, it's like They his... polarize opinion a lot. Hey? Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. Po they polarize opinion. But but okay. the point is that Imran Khan is a a huge uh, figure in Pakistan cricket. He becomes an actual political figure <laughs> to the point at which there are like still people online slagging off his cricket record. And it's just like, you can't slag off his cricket record. It's <laughs> it's probably top 10 of all time. You know, I, as I've said, he may, ha he may have the second best peak of any cricketer that has ever walked on, on, on planet Earth. But it starts there and it keeps happening over and over and over again, right? You've already talked about Pakistan as a, a, a as an overall culture and everything else. I am going to assume that this doesn't happen in hockey and football. And oh, absolutely sport, not. Right? So it's a cricket slash Pakistan uh, thing. We've just done a podcast, which probably played a couple of weeks ago, about Mickey Arthur, right? Mm -hmm. And how hard it is to, to change things. My question for you is, no matter what happens in Pakistan cricket, let's say, I don't know, you get a robot version of uh, Andy Flower, right, with <laughs> Brendan McCullum's charisma in, uh, I don't know, John Buchanan's um, height, whatever, coming in, right, you know, <laughs> the super coach um, machine, right? If you have a culture where you can't question anyone, right, and certain players become untouchable because of ethnic beliefs, because of locality beliefs, because of just they appeal to a certain demographic. Like Misber is a perfect example of someone who basically appealed to nerds, right? And so nerds took him. <laughs> anyone who was studying in Pakistan suddenly became like Misber's biggest fan, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he was the one of us that made it, right? I, <laughs> I get all that sort of stuff. But if that keeps happening player after player after player, is that not something that is actually holding back Pakistan cricket? As much as the, the disorganized nature of it, the lack of professionalism at times, the, the lack of money because of what was happening mm -hmm. when they weren't playing at home. All those other things play a part, but you can overcome a lot of those. It's very hard to just get better if you cannot question why you are doing something or why your best player is not performing quite at the level you want them to. It feels like to me that, that I know that's why I really want to do this episode because the actual cult and the Twitter fans, that's fine. We can push them to a side, but it, it's not just Twitter fans, right? It's pundits. It's the media. It is Pakistan cricket at times. This is so ingrained 
And it seems to be that all all that happens is we go from Safraz being the savior to Baba <laughs> being the savior. And we came from Mizbah being the savior. And then Mizbah versus Eunice was a thing. And then Afridi was a, a part of that as well. It just, people keep jumping from savior to savior to savior. That's not a healthy position to be in if you're just trying to get better at cricket. When you're going up against now, three superpowers. Yeah, I mean, there's a very long answer to this and I'm going to dive right into it. <laughs> First of all, you know, you mentioned a lot of names over there and from a broad scale, you know, if you look at it from a macro lens, then one common theme is that Pakistan, and I can say this because I am a resident of this country, a citizen, and I currently live here as well. I thought you were Canadian. Yeah, I am. I'm Pakistani-Canadian. But yeah, I'm born and bred in Pakistan, though. So people over here tend to build a messiah complex. And that only works in cricket and politics. Imran Khan is like the epitome of that. He's like because, the combination. <laughs> yeah, he is the combination. Because A, he was popular even before his peak that you speak of. Yeah. Just because he was a really pretty boy. Yeah. And his reputation as a Casanova was flaunted in Pakistan that, oh, look at Imran Khan, you know, with all these girls. We're so proud of him that he's with all of these English girls. And that was basically his cult even before the World Cup. And that World Cup win, along with the hospital that he built, solidified that cult. We glorify Imran Khan for picking and choosing his own players. Oh, he plucked Wakar Yunus out of thin air. But then, you know, Babur, uh, when he's empowered, people probably do not have that reaction and have a problem with the amount of power he has. But Imran Khan's cult, even though it is, you know, the biggest thing in Pakistan these days, and I don't necessarily want to call it a cult because there are pros and cons and everything, right? And Imran Khan, for all of the criticism, does bring some good things in whatever field he's but, in because but there is he's a, a professional. cult element to some yes, of his there support. there is an element, sure. Right? And, and, and then you move on to, let's go for two more prominent examples. You've got Shahid Afridi. That one makes more sense to me because I think that one, that is one that people don't take very seriously because he's like the maddest max of them all in yeah. the history of cricket. So that cult is just, oh, we hate Afridi because he always gets out on a duck. And the other ones is, is like, Afridi will win you a game that you never thought in your yeah. wildest dreams that you would go on to he's win. He's the and cartoon least... cult figure, right? Like yeah. he's, he's the one that, no, because you couldn't take him too seriously, mm -hmm. the, the love for him and, and almost, you know, it, there was almost an element of that's the way the Pakistanis wanted to see themselves. Yeah. Right. They, like, they love that razzmatazz. Beautiful hair, you know, the posing, you know, the way he played and everything else. <laughs> the Starman celebration. Exactly. Everything. Whereas actually, as we really know, Pakistan is probably more like Muhammad Yusuf or Mizbah. <laughs> and then Mizbah is the one I think that you can compare to Babur most because Mizbah was, uh, of course, you might be familiar with the name Tuk Tuk is what people used to call him because Mizbah either would go down the ground versus a spinner or would just block the ball. And that became Mizbah cricket as we, uh, you know, as his career unfolded. And you could say that that was also largely because Pakistan, more often than not, were 50 or 60 for five. And Mizbah at times did have to do what he did. Uh, but basically, if you look at it objectively, Mizbah took your test team to number one. And he mm. deserves uh, heaps of respect for that. Even though you're, you know, playing in the UAE and those pitches suited you, you're not playing at home. So mm. he deserves a lot of respect for that. But then the white ball team really, really dwindled in the Mizbah era. So I think both arguments in that particular culty situation make sense. And, you know, there's, there's some merit both in both of those arguments. But overall, Mizbah was a sensible head. And he, you know, erased any controversies from the team, which was just fresh off of, you know, the spot fixing scandal. Mm. 
And that was after like at least like 10, 12 years of this fixing saga. So that was quite big. And taking that team to the pinnacle of test cricket. I mean, we didn't have the test championship back then. So in my mind, we've already won it because he held the mace. But uh, yeah, I think that was that's the one that's most comparable to Barber because I think the Barber cult stems from strike rate. And people have now made it like, you know, their mission to either gatekeep him or to slander him. Mm. And this is the, they, they, they just go and do a constant back and forth. And it's exhausting. I have muted many people who I even, you know, enjoy following just because I'm sick and tired of this. We yeah. know that Babar and Rizwan are going to be opening now. He's made that very clear. Let's go and analyze that and how they move along in the future because he's the captain right now, right? And he and the management clearly backs this decision. So I would say that, yes, be critical of them and pinpoint areas where they failed. You you talked about the T20 semi-final versus Australia, the Matthew Wade one where the bowling was, you know, relied upon to win you the game. Very recent example is this T20 that happened, the final T20 versus Pakistan yeah. in New Zealand. You know, Pakistan scored 193 on a Raval Pindi pitch uh, where in the PSL 250 was being chased, right? It was unprecedented uh, levels of batting paradise in the PSL. And we saw that in the series as well. And 193 was below par. You mm. needed at least 200 on that surface. And you can you know, very rightly criticized Babar and Rizwan. Oh, well, Babar's start because Babar was, what, 19 of 16 towards the end. And Rizwan, even though he ended up with 98 of 62, in his last 10, 12 deliveries, he just could not accelerate. So all of that criticism is valid. You can pin that on the batters because on the pindy surface, you can't really put it on the bowlers, right? The, if they concede 120 in the last 10 overs, that is believable on that surface. Even though I still think Pakistan is a good enough unit to defend that, I wouldn't say the bowlers are responsible over there. So, like I said, there is nuance in this argument and you have to pinpoint and target those specific areas where this doesn't work. Because when you come from an overarching sort of area, then the players get defensive too. And given the Pakistan media, Babar has, I'd say, matured with time. He's learned how to deal with them because he would get very defensive in the past. I think he's worked out a system and I can only hope that he's matured to the point where he can, you know, identify. We talk about that strike rate and average combination, right? Mm. I saw your Red Inca podcast with Shan Masood when he was trying to up his game in T20 cricket. And he said that he spoke to a coach and they uh, together identified that 3130 was what he needed to target. Now, let's be honest, Jared, I don't think 30-130 works anymore, you know? Well, and I think 30-130 is fine for what he was trying to get to at that time, mm -hmm. and that was quite a few years ago as well. Yeah. But that 30-130, you know, there were a lot of players building really good careers on that. That's mm -hmm. not how T20 is played anymore, right? Yeah, it, it, has, it has moved on. And, and you so look things at Tim David, right? Look at hey, Tim David. Look at what yeah, he's doing. <laughs> exactly. So I do, I do think those things have changed. So... There's a uh, Pakistan media has a role to play in all this as well. And I know mm -hmm. you work for a Pakistani website, um, Absolutely. you know, in grassroots and which is a little bit different than the others mm -hmm. and Pakistan media, as you will be very aware. And for those who don't there, there's going to be people who are going to, you know, uh, drop their, drop their caffeinated drinks. Uh, when I say this, but for a very long time, the PCB would pay Pakistani journalists, um, to travel. Uh, rather than them actually doing it with their own media organizations, which meant that you essentially had journalists on Pakistan cricket teams payroll for a very, very long time, which has, even though that's no longer the case, I don't think that's happening anymore. It certainly wasn't happening under... That's not happening anymore, but Zainab Abbas recently came on a podcast and she blatantly said that some players would host dinners for journalists and give them gifts to push their agendas. She took no names, but it's not a far-fetched thing to imagine. No, I mean, and so this is what I was going to say, is 
because of that, it, we're not. We, we know that there's been brilliant uh, Pakistani cricket journalists, and but I'm not really talking about the individuals. We're more talking about the overall industry. It's not as robust as anything else. And then on top of that, it even if you take away that thing that Zanab said there, and and I've certainly heard similar things before. And it wouldn't be the only country where that happens, but I have heard more of it happening in Pakistan than anywhere else. But there is a certain element of there is a lack of a proper professional structure again within the media right mm -hmm. and I, I i don't know how much you've been following the ipl but you know you've got harsha Bogle and simon Dool on the ipl coverage going well that looks selfish is he playing for the, the, the simon sort of Dool has had a few of those comments in pakistan as well he, he has became quite famous for those <laughs> right and I, I i would say that you know i think asian cricket culture gets lumped into one sort of pot it's very hard to say anything negative in India, right, publicly about any of those major players, which is very different than Pakistan, where <laughs> you can actually make a very good career being either very pro someone or very negative someone. Yeah. In that, again, when it comes back to that political aspect, it's like Baba Azam at this point is a political party that, you know, your <laughs> mad uncle either is absolutely believes in 100% or your, you know, your your nephew is sitting there going, I would never vote for Baba Azam, right? It it has become that. And my, I suppose my overarching question is, I'm not surprised at any of this, and we've seen it happen again and again and again. You know, Baba FC, as you said, is just the latest version of that. The question is, can Pakistan ever break out of that cycle? And is this something that will fade away? Or is it something that is just always going to be part of Pakistan cricket and uh, there's no way of just, you know, um, separating it from the game itself? Well, I also think that Barber FC is more amplified because of Twitter and social media. And maybe, you know, Imran Khan in early days of Shahid Afridi did not have that. So you get to hear this discourse or the lack of it, in fact. It's just abusing just yelling. different people, abusing each <laughs> other and stuff like that. It, it gets really ugly and... Uh, you could you could say that social media has a part to play in that. But yes, I would agree that Pakistan's media, and with all due respect to my peers, I think that it hasn't particularly helped Pakistan cricket in the sense that they will pick a controversial topic or make it controversial at first and then, you know, bank on it for views, follows, monies, all of that, monies, <laughs> money, all of that stuff. And I think, you know, when you have polarized opinion on a certain topic in Pakistan, rather than going about it in a rational way, people will just jump right into it emotionally. And like I said earlier, it's a country that deals in extremes in that regard, which you were also alluding to, that either you are team Baba through and through or you're his big, biggest critic ever. You just people fail to look at it objectively and just pinpoint the flaws and not make an absolute massive deal out of it. Make your point. Go ahead and make it. Tweeting about it every day will not help. You're only going to ignite Barber FC more and they're going to swear more at you. So there is a happy middle ground over here that I think people don't quite or fail to identify. And with respect to the Pakistan media, and I mean, you compared it with Indian media, right? India is a country which has done really well with their branding. They have made proper brands out of their cricketers. Shoei Bakhtar cries about it all the time in Pakistan. He says that I'm the fastest bowler. Why am I not a brand? He has a point. But then again, I think in India, you have uh, or you had the watershed moment in sports journalism a few decades back. You look at the likes of Gautam Bimani, who I've personally looked up to, and Harsha Bhogle, two people like, you know, I 
definitely idolize these people because this they're people who haven't played cricket, right? Like, well, I'm not going to say you, Jared, because you're a more than handy leg spinner, right? Obviously. Um, <laughs> but these are people who provide you different flavors in that same media sort of fraternity. So you have the sensationalists in India, and mm. then you have the Harsha Bhogles, and you have the Gautam Bimanis who will talk rationally and talk with reason. In Pakistan, you have a lot of sensationalism. That's what media runs on, you know. They just will search for a headline in a press conference. They will try to build controversy out of thin air because they want that traction. They don't particularly care about the cricket. They might not even be as educated about the cricket. But another thing that I'd like to point out over here is that in Pakistan, and I'm not talking about the media fraternity in general, seniority is a thing. That's in the team as well, by the way. Seniority has been a big thing in Pakistan cricket, uh, even when you talk about the players, because there's a certain level of respect and this and that. And people have inflated egos because of it. And I'm not saying that there are no credible journalists in Pakistan. I work with them. Mm. I have lots of respect with them. I have only ever been civil with them and I'm focused on doing my own job. But me coming in as an upcoming sports correspondent and hopefully someday something bigger than that, I make it a point to, you know, market my own brand around my central faith or mission statement, which is to change the cricket coverage landscape in Pakistan because there's too much toxicity. There's too much sensationalism. There's too much blowing things out of proportion. There is no nuanced conversation. There is no rational conversation in which you can have a healthy debate. And that is what I guess we at Grassroots Cricket have tried to change really hard and are continuing to do so. Let's see if we're successful or not because it doesn't sell as much as the other thing does. And therein lies the problem. And this is not just a cricket problem. You look at Pakistani politics, it functions the same way. And I think this, like we as a country need to recognize that this is not the sort of reporting that will get us anywhere. Forget cricket. I'm talking overall. Yeah, it's um, a real shame that you hate Baba Azam so much and we'll have to finish <laughs> up there. But uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, anytime. And just for the viewers, I'd like to say, have a little faith in Baba's ceiling. Be critical, but have a little faith in Baba's ceiling. Come on, this is Baba Azam we're talking about. <laughs> He's handy. Thank you for listening. There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia and Meda Akam producing some of the shows and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by the Red Cricket. Podcast Network.